Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. The rest of you, if you take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 10, as you're doing that, I'd just invite you for a moment to consider the cross, to consider the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. Crucifixions in that day were not a new thing, certainly not in Jerusalem or to the Roman culture. But this particular crucifixion I want you to consider is a bit more dramatic than a normal crucifixion. It would have quite the impact on Jerusalem, quite the impact to the ends of the earth. Many in that city on that day were aware of this Jesus of Nazareth who would find himself hung between two common criminals. The scene for that whole week around Jerusalem was emotionally charged. Perhaps every day it cranked up a little bit more. It's hard for us to imagine what Jesus endured, what he faced. The crowd that welcomed him into Jerusalem with praises saw him exit through the cross shouting curses. We have the privilege and the blessing of reading the Gospels knowing that on the third day, God brought him back. But while he hung there suffering, hanging there, trying to draw his breath and hang on for life, the one suffering would ask for his father to forgive the very people that shouted for his crucifixion. And then some standing there as he hung on the cross heard him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quite the statement. The criminals on either side of him were cursing him too until one realized who he was. Those that heard him say that thought perhaps he was calling out to Elijah. Maybe in that moment they quieted the crowd down and said, let's, let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. They didn't really understand or know what was happening in that moment. But then in the final moments of his breath, what would they think of his word? To tell us, die. What's that? Did he say, 
It's finished? What does that mean? It is finished. Was it a moan of defeat as he breathed his last? Did he just give up? Again, what we know from the scripture is that Tetelestai was not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. It was and is still the victor's song. That Christ had fully accomplished the work that his father had sent him to accomplish. It was the father's will and it was the son's willing obedience. And now the spirit's proclamation from the word. And this is helpful in the light of Hebrews chapter 10. Because Hebrews chapter 10 talks about sacrifices and some Old Testament stuff, and it's all pointing back to that moment of Christ on the cross where he gave up his life. And that when he said, it is finished, the wrath of God was satisfied, the payment for sin had been made. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be, excuse me, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I'm going to keep reading verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into this world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above... You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of the, of the, excuse me, of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their hands. Then, he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there no longer remains, there is no longer any offering for sin. Sorry, sometimes when I'm reading, I throw the other translations in there too. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and your, your name before us today on our hearts 
is majestic. What you have done in the sacrifice of your son and sending him for us, what you have accomplished in, in uh, the resurrection and the power to bring about the resurrection is simply astounding, is mind-boggling. Sometimes my mind just has a hard time understanding all of that, and for what reason? Because we were sinners. We were so unworthy of that gift. And yet, through that gift, we can come to the throne of grace this morning in our time of need. Lord, we need to hear from your word. And Father, it is my prayer that Jesus would be our teacher and that we'd see him this morning in his fullness. Lord, that all the distractions of this world which pull us away would become as nothing compared to knowing more of him. Father, that at the conclusion of our time this morning, we would find in Christ Jesus our all in all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we find here in Hebrews chapter 10 is that the old system of the law was insufficient. The old system of the law was insufficient. When we think about the old system, we can go back to the first five books of the Bible. The Torah, that's the law. We can find it there in Exodus, Leviticus, all and down. We can find the different prescriptions for offerings and sacrifices, the different list of do's and don'ts. It's quite the list. And that's where most people, if they're going to ever set out to read the Bible through a year, that's when they give up. They hit all of that. But we're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about the sacrifices that were insufficient to handle our biggest problem, which is sin. You ever had a honeydew list? Come on. I know she's sitting next to you, but it's okay. There's protection here. <laughs> a honeydew list can, can be a frustrating thing. Now, when I was growing up, I had a mama said list, right? Mama said, do your laundry. Mama said, vacuum. Mama said, do the, the, the dishes. Mama said. And you know, I'd always wait till about 30 minutes before, in my mind, her estimated time of arrival so that when she showed up, she caught me being obedient. But usually what happened was that there were a few more tasks added on to the mama said list. And I wasn't done when I thought I would be done. Honeydew list can be that way too, right? We think we're done and then there's something added to it. Sometimes that list just doesn't seem to have an end. Well, that was the problem with the law. Because we want to check things off. Thinking that we're done, thinking that we're finished. But when it comes to the law, there's no way to check off the list. There's no way to check every single box, cross every T and dot every I. There was no possible way for us to complete the requirements of the law. I mean, let's narrow it down to the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. Okay, well, none of us have ever murdered anybody, I hope. We can do that one, but are we always truthful? Have we ever coveted something that our neighbor has that we don't? Have we ever told a lie? The writer says 
that the law of the Old Testament was but a shadow of the good things to come. What is amazing about this chapter is that when you go back to the Old Testament, we walked through it last year as a church. I love reading the Old Testament. It's fascinating to me because there are, there, are there are a great deal of traditions and impressive ceremonies laid out in the Old Testament. Things that if Israel had done or followed through, it, it was fabulous. I mean, the Day of Atonement, once a year, was an amazing ceremony. And the different festivals that they would establish to help them remember how God had worked in their midst. But for Israel, the law would preserve an awareness of God's holiness. That's what the law does for us. When you read through it and you read through the Ten Commandments, not one of us have kept all ten. Because certainly we would all have put something above God. We will all have worshipped something other than God, creator of heaven and earth. At some point, we have tripped and fallen and missed the mark of God's glory. So it preserves an awareness of God's holiness, and it also points to our need for atonement, payment of our sin. But what happened in the law in the Old Testament, the old system, is that repetition of sacrifices the repetition of offerings made in the tabernacle, in the temple, especially on that day of atonement, it never brought the people into a lasting, permanent relationship with God. Why? Because it was only a shadow of what was to come. It was only a shadow of what was to come. Again, he says in verse 1, it is a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. I love the way A.B. Davidson said it many, many years ago. He said, there is no repetition of the shadow which can add up to the full substance. So here's what happened on the Day of Atonement. Let's go back. Le Leviticus chapter 16. This is your homework. You can go back and read it this week. But let me quickly break it down. Before the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he had to deal with his own sin. Because he's not perfect. He's just a man like I am. He had sin too. So he had to deal with that. He would sacrifice a bull. And, and that blood would cleanse him. Then, once he was able, had done that, he would then take two goats before he go into the Holy of Holies. The first goat was sacrificed for its blood, and he was offered as a sacrifice. That's what would be sprinkled on the altar. The other goat was called the scapegoat. The scapegoat, the same high priest, would symbolically pronounce over the scapegoat's head the sins of the people. That goat would then be ushered out, led out, driven out into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Once those two things were done, and the priest would then exit out of the holy place, the holy of holies. And his exit, having performed the ritual, his exit would signal to the people that a sacrifice for, for their sin had been accepted. They'd wait for the high priest to pronounce shalom, or peace, or the blessing of Aaron, over them. But what you found and what's reality is that that day of atonement was insufficient to remove their sins. 
and served to remind them of their sin, and it postponed God's wrath for another year. The book of Hebrews emphasizes that the law, the old system, was a shadow of what is to come. It is an outline of the real thing, but never intended to be the real thing. Don't you remember as a child trying to chase your shadow? Wasn't that Peter Pan? Always his shadow would detach and dance around. He could never catch his shadow. I I, I don't know if I'm right or not on that. It doesn't matter. You get the point. I remember as a kid trying to catch that shadow. He looked like me. Sometimes he was bigger than me. Sometimes I was standing right on top of him, just depending on the time of the day, doesn't it? But I could never catch him. He always beat me where I was going, and he was gone before I could get there. But that shadow is an outline of the good things to come. Israel could never catch, in a sense. It could never accomplish on its own what Jesus accomplished. I love that phrase, the good things to come, because it points to the contrast of the old system. The old system pointed to everything Christ would purchase at the cross. The old system is a shadow of what was accomplished for us through his life at the cross and in the resurrection. The law was a shadow but not reality because Christ Jesus is the reality. Friends, the good things that the writer's talking about here, the forgiveness of sin, the permanent redemption in Christ, the new life, and if you go down which we will at the end of this, down uh, in chapter 10 to verse 22, the ability now to draw near to the Lord. The good things that were to come. Paul had something to say about this in Romans chapter 3. Take your your Bible and turn over there for a moment. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I'll just share with this, uh, read through this with you and talk about it for a moment, and then we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, made known apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, right? It was not intended to be that, but they bear witness. They point. It is a shadow, an outline of, thing, of the good things to come. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's the good stuff that is to come. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's intended mark. Okay? And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the reality. There's the fullness of what was to come. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. Right? That day of atonement, it held God's wrath until the day that his son would come and die on the cross. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The sacrifices held God's wrath for just a moment, for a time. This is why they were continual. This is why there's repetition every year, every cycle. But they never removed the sin. Why? Because they were powerless to do so. These same sacrifices, the goat, the bull, the lamb, though they're offered every year by the priest, they could not make perfect, he says in verse 1, they could not make perfect those who draw near. 
We want to draw near to God, but there's a problem, and that problem is our sin. That law could not accomplish that. That day of atonement could not accomplish that. The repetition would only announce the inadequacy of last year's offering. we got to do this again. And in the offerings over and over, if they had been sufficient, if they had reached their goal, they would have stopped, the writer says. But the offerings kept going. This is why he's pointing us to Jesus, to tell us today that Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice. He is the one who gave himself once and for all. Everything that Christ did was enough. The Father's plan, going alongside the Son's willing offering, his willing sacrifice, his willing obedience, working side by side, and that his work is now completed, and he sits at the Father's right hand. There is no further need for sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus was a once and for all sufficient sacrifice. I love that old hymn. It came to mind this morning. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We don't need a priest to stand in the gap for us. I love praying for you, but I don't need to stand. I can't stand. I'm not worthy to stand in the gap for you, nor you me. We need a mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. He is the one who stands between us and God. We don't need to offer up new sacrifices this morning. That would ruin our beautiful carpet, right? But we don't need that new sacrifice this morning. Why? Because of the work of the atonement, the payment for sins of Christ at the cross. That is complete. It is unrepeatable. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is paid in full, never to be paid again. Here is what he is. He is a sufficient sacrifice that, one, takes away your sin. Look at verses 2 and following. Verse 2 has that rhetorical question here to help us show the inadequacy or the insufficiency of the old sacrifice. Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? There in the human heart, in our our mind, is the part of, of of our being with the consciousness of sin. It's always there. The awareness of sin would remain untouched by these sacrifices. Even though the high priest went in once a year, year after year, to the Holy of Holies to cleanse the people from their sin, it did nothing to their heart. It did nothing for the sins that they would commit following that grand ceremony. For the law was powerless to change the heart and remove the stain of guilt. If you'll think back to Ezekiel, there God says that he is going to remove the heart of stone, the heart that the law could not touch, but he will remove the heart of stone and put in a new heart of flesh that's workable, moldable in his hands. Friends, those sacrifices could not keep up with the amount of sin in the people's life. And these recurring sacrifices also served as a reminder of sin. Look at verse 3. In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. It never stopped year after year. In verse 4, it says it is impossible. This is good news here. This is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is the truth. 
Nothing could take away the sins of the people. That is the essential gospel point. Look at verse 22. He says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Then why couldn't the bulls and the the sheep and the goats, why couldn't their blood take care of it? It's a great question. Because they were just a shadow of what was to come. They were copies, but never the real sacrifice. He continues on in verse 12, speaking of the one sacrifice, the great high priest, Jesus Christ. There he says, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. His blood, unlike the animal's washes away our sin forever. He didn't go through their blood. See, the high priest, again, he had, to, he had to sacrifice the bull for himself first before he dealt with the people, but not the great high priest Jesus, not the one who gave his life on the cross. He entered by his own blood. He paid the price, and his blood takes away our sin forever. Second thing, he is a sufficient sacrifice that replaces that Old Testament sacrifice. I, for one, am grateful of this. When he came, he was sent by the Father. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this in verse 5, 6, and 7, 8, and 9. He's referencing Psalm chapter 40, which we read at the very beginning of the service, right at the end of Psalm chapter 40. But the writer attributes that portion of the psalm to Jesus at his incarnation, and he says, Jesus spoke these words, and they expressed his purpose. This is his mission. This is why he came. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. He came to dwell amongst us, God in the flesh, and that we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And yet in that, he gave his life willingly. Here's why Jesus' sacrifice endures, because he said, I have come to do your will, O God. Those animals that were led up to the altar, they were just led. They didn't go of their own will. They're an animal. You put a cube, some cubes in front of a calf, they're going to do whatever you want. You put a treat in front of your dog, she's going to sit, roll over, whatever, beg, because they want that treat. But Jesus willingly went to the cross. He replaced that sacrificial system. When he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He did away with the first in order to establish the second. That's good news if you're a bull or a goat today. It's even better news for us. Because there is one sacrifice for all time. Verse 10, he said, by that second and final sacrifice... Through the body of Christ, we have been sanctified, whereby the work of God through his Son, we are more and more freed from sin to become like Christ, to be more like him. That's the journey of sanctification. Oh, is it a journey? There's lots of, lots of testing, lots of wrestling over what God is calling us to when it comes to holiness and sanctification, becoming more like Christ. But I tell you, what is impossible with man, what is impossible with goats, what is 
impossible with bulls is totally possible and accomplished in the offering of Jesus Christ upon the cross once and for all. One of the most important phrases in Hebrews, once and for all. There's a finality to that transaction, which is why Jesus said, it is finished. Verses 11 through 14, we see here several things, but the one I want to bring out today is that his sufficient sacrifice brings perfection. I'm not claiming perfection right now. I know I'm not perfect. Spend five minutes with me and you'll figure that out too. (laughs) But I'm on the road to it. That's the journey of sanctification. I love the contrast of verses 11 and 12. He says, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The priest who stands daily in service offering repeated sacrifice after sacrifice over and over and over is he thinking to himself, Bill, You were here three days ago with this sacrifice. Why are we doing this again? Over and over and over. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Same story. Over and over. The ceremony becomes ritual. It becomes ineffective. The priest standing shows that there's continuous work. And then you hit verse 12. But Jesus, the great high priest, once and for all, single sacrifice for sins. What did he do? He sat down. Why? Because it was finished. The work, the payment for sin was accomplished. And so he sits at the right hand of his father, who is in a, which is in a position of power, waiting for the time when his enemies will be made a footstool under him and he'll return for the church. In the meantime... He and the Holy Spirit are at work sanctifying us through that offering. And the goal is perfection for those who are being sanctified. That only happens in Christ Jesus. And the beauty of this is that it shows that the work of Christ is finished and yet ongoing. Not that he is sacrificed over and over and over, but the work of sanctification is ongoing. He's not just sitting up there in his holy lazy boy taking it easy waiting for his for God to say, go on back, son. He is actively at work, but the work of redemption, the work of suffering for our sins is done. Now it's the work of sanctification. Verse 15, this sufficient sacrifice also brings forgiveness. This is such good news. The writer turned to Jeremiah chapter 31 and talking about this new covenant that God would write it on our hearts. And then he hits verse 17 which is not really under the old covenant, when he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That final sacrifice of Jesus, bringing full forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any need for an offering. This is why this morning we do not have an altar. A couple of Sundays ago, we did have a table. But in there, when we come to the table of fellowship for the Lord's Supper, we are not sacrificing Jesus again. There are some who practice that. That's wrong. We are simply having a memorial supper, a memorial meal where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus through his body and the blood for our sins. 
That's what we're doing. We're remembering, we're celebrating, we're honoring the sacrifice of Jesus. We don't need to sacrifice him. He doesn't need to go to the cross again because he paid in full. It's done. And I love verse 17. I will remember their lawless deeds, their sin no more. Christ came, the mediator between man and God. God poured out his wrath on his son Jesus. Sins were atoned for. And now when you come to Christ by grace, through faith, God no longer remembers your sin. We turn away from that and walk with Jesus in a new life. The blood of Christ blots them out forever. I love the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What the law could not do, what the Old Testament sacrifices could not do, Christ accomplished. And to show that he meant business, if Christ's blood truly granted us forgiveness of sins forever, Verse 18 says, then there is no longer an offering for sin. It's done. It's paid for. You now trust in what Christ has done for you. Turn away from your sin this morning and by God's grace through faith, turn to Christ. Look upon the cross and know and believe that he's died for your sins and that on the third day God raised him from the dead. If you have not made that decision to follow Christ, now is the time. Today is the day. If you sense that he's calling you, you know that if you die today, what are you going to tell him? Well, at least I was in church when I died. Isn't that good enough? No. You must believe in Jesus. You must trust in him and turn away from your sin. For those that have already made that decision and trusted in Christ and you're following, here's, what, here's why this matters. He goes on to say, here's, what, here's why it matters. Verse 22, he calls us to this. He says, so now let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Some Old Testament imagery there, sprinkled clean. That's what the high priest would do with the blood. But if you remember back up in verse 1, what the law could not do is make perfect those who draw near. But you see the connection? Through Christ, through the once and for all sacrifice, now in Christ, we can draw near to God. Hello, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. The one who gave Adam his breath. The one who caused Adam to fall asleep and created Eve. We can draw near to him? Yes, through Jesus Christ. Verse 23. We're also now called to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is that hope? The hope that I do enough good? No, the hope of Jesus Christ and what he has done in that once and for all sacrifice. We cling to that sacrifice. We cling to that Savior. Because he who promised it, he says, is faithful. He don't go back on his word. And then we see as we draw near that we can endure as we hold fast. Now we see in verse 24, we're also belonging to the church. 
You mean there's other people, Christ followers? Yes, we're the church. We're the body of Christ. And we are now to, to, to stir one another to love and good works as we meet together, encourage one another. Encourage one another, especially as we see the day drawing near. If you've not given your life to Jesus yet, today's the day. Be encouraged, if you have, to continue to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, cleansed from sin into the presence of God. Seek him daily. Hold fast to the confession of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.